Welcome to Ultra Level Up Chips, the final challenger. Hey y'all, welcome back to Level Up Chips, the weekly gaming podcast from CM Life that talks about everything game related. That's right, folks. When we say everything, we mean everything. Those uh Winnie the Pooh games that you played as a kid are not safe from discussion. I'm Mike Gonzalez, and I have with me uh, a guest speaker, uh, Gabe Gonzalez, who happens to be my brother. So, um, <laughs> should probably explain the whole Winnie the Pooh thing. Um, pretty much every time that I have an episode, I get a game that people might have played as a kid. And be, they'll be like, whoa, I forgot about that. Something like that. First one was like Cooking Mama. Second one was like Roller Coaster Tycoon or the SpongeBob games. And this time I started thinking about that one GameCube Winnie the Pooh game. Yes, it was terrifying, really. I actually just watched a speed run of it on YouTube recently. And it's the weirdest thing. I didn't realize that you had to do quick time events. To fight those like monsters and stuff. Mm, I don't remember that. Yeah, Piglet. So pretty much, and I I learned about it. I was like, holy, sh-, you know, like shoot, I, I forgot that um a lot about this game. But I never realized you could actually fight the the monsters in it. Um, I always remembered it was almost like a stealth game for me, and horror. But um, yeah, no joke, like. You have to do a bunch of quick time events. He learns them, and that's the whole game. That's really it. You just find it's a collectathon to find cookies and save your friends and do quick time events to fight the monsters. That is it. Yeah, I don't recall much of it myself. Um, it's all like I remember collecting things, and I vaguely remember certain places. I feel like there was a dark, spooky manor or castle. yeah no it was a castle yeah um yeah that's that it's all a bit of a blur really trust me i was i was even smaller so that was like i looked at it and i just knew i was terrified of the game every time that those monsters came around and i failed the quick time event supposedly um i remember just having you do it same thing as like luigi's mansion but that's another story (laughs) (laughs) well i remember being like to me it seemed like i was a bit old for it like you know it's you know a kid's game but you know you were interested in it um and regardless of feeling like i was old for it i remember it being also strangely difficult which again i think when I watched that speed run, I actually do remember those people actually failing a few times on the final boss because the quick time events were getting so ridiculous. It was like Street Fighter button like combos type of bad, like Marvel versus Capcom 3 type of combos. Oof. I don't know why they did that, but they just decided, hey, you know what? This is a Winnie the Pooh game kids need to learn how to do a quarter circle input (laughs) (laughs) it was uh it's all part of that quick time event uh frenzy back in the day it all started i feel like with resident evil 4 that was around the time when the quick time no shenmue shenmue was the first time and then it just grew into that ridiculous bayonetta type of quick time event bayonetta was I mean, I didn't play it during that era, but it is definitely of that era and it is the most mean with them because you just you watch you're watching a cutscene and you think everything's okay, and then it throws that quick time event at you. Or even like half a second into the cutscene, it throws the quick time event. The worst part about those cutscenes, and then it goes into the quick time event without like warning you or anything like that. You can die from those quick time events so easily. And the whole game is based on, you know, like the grading system. And pretty much as soon as you fail that quick time event, immediately it just marks you down a whole like grade letter uh, or like a, a statue just because you 
didn't realize I had to press B at like 0.2 seconds. Uh, failing the quick time event is definitely Enzo level uh, material. <laughs> Something that I saw way too often. And I remember thinking I, that's one of the reasons why I never actually played Bayonetta 2. That's one of the main reasons was because I couldn't stand having the Enzo statue anymore. I just Bayonetta 2 is much more forgiving too. The other thing that it cut back on, which still bugs me a little from Bayonetta 1, um, is going straight from cutscene to battle. Uh, Oftentimes, Bayonetta 1 begins that transition with an attack from the enemy. And so you have to know when the cutscene ends so that you can immediately dodge as soon as you have control. I remember those. Those were so bad. It's a great game. Like, I, I think the story and, like, the environment, it was, like, groundbreaking. I definitely prefer the story and the characters and the uh, most everything. I like Bayonetta 1 more than Bayonetta 2. Bayonetta 2, however, definitely comes, you know, in top when it comes to the actual gameplay and combat. It streamlined and fixed a lot. Majorly. Yeah, no. Bayonetta 2 had Loki. Bayonetta 1 had not Loki, so things were better. (laughs) Yeah, Loki is, uh, that's another matter entirely. But uh, moving away from Bayonetta, um, why don't we get into the first segment of our podcast, which is pretty much like looking at the news of uh, games. And it's kind of good that we had a little filler there um, just because there's not a whole lot of news. Like the the craziest stuff that we really got this week is, you know, a bunch of updates and a lot of mods. Um, We got an announcement for this Phoenix Wright game. It's supposed to be set in like, I want to say like, victorian london you actually meet sherlock holmes but he's not sherlock holmes he's herlock Soames or something like that i'm not even joking about this they literally just called him herlock Soames or something like that all i can think of is the great dog detective sherlock bones or something like that <laughs> i want to name sherlock is uh, like sherlock that. is i believe like none it's uncopyrighted now uh people are am i thinking of the right thing no i'm thinking of gatsby oh that explains a lot yeah but okay so that probably explains why they still got to keep the whole herlock shones case (laughs) it's really stupid but Honestly, from what I've uh, seen, he's kind of like a himbo. Just kind of that, like, cronk level of just, like, he's stupid, but he's looking pretty nice. That sounds more like Lockhart to me. He's taking credit for everything, but he doesn't actually do it. Yeah, what am... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Lockhart, yeah, you're right. All right. Herlock Sholmes is uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. Don't want to think about that. Past life. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing that we got this week, which was completely unexpected, was a Super Mario Party update, um, which I'm still... A little bit weirded out by it because it's been about two and a half years since Super Mario Party came out. They had zero updates previously. And now all of a sudden, two and a half years later, they decided, hey, it needs online play features. And, you know, I don't get it. I don't know what Nintendo is doing because that same day they dropped Metopia demo. Um... I'm trying to think. They had something else. I feel like it's some Pokemon Snap thing. Because everything's Pokemon Snap at Nintendo. But anyway, I guess I'm really excited. 
for this update because uh, Gabe over here, uh, well, he's not over here. He's actually in Japan, um, which is one of the reasons why he's a special guest at the moment. But um, honestly, I know Grace when I, uh, our sister, when I told her that we're able to do Mario Party online, I remember her like face beamed up. She was actually looking forward to that. She she always wants game night, so this is actually a pretty good update. Yeah, I am looking forward to trying it out. Uh, I have heard that there are some aspects to it that are a little bit strange. Um, I've heard just the way too. that you get into it. Uh, Given our distance, I am a little concerned with how the connection will fare and how much lag there will be. I'm hoping it'll be okay, but we will see. Honestly, I mean, I feel like we've gotten, what was it, 51 Clubhouse games, and even Smash Bros. worked for the most part as soon as you uh, got the better internet connection. Yes. So I feel like, in general, this is... I think this is going to work out a lot more than I really think we you're thinking. But again, it's given how unorthodox the like methods are for getting into online play. Yeah, I have no idea what this is going to look like. Um, At the very least, given that it's Mario Party, it's not uh, it's not typically you know, if it's a little bit laggy, it's usually not a big deal. If anything, that just adds to the chaos of some of the mini games. Actually, yeah, the more I think about it, that's like, it's much better than Smash Bros, something like that. A lot of those yeah, no games... One... <laughs> no one's playing competitive Mario Party. Uh, yeah, especially... eSport. I think I actually just watched a video about how, like, most of the Mario Party games, those dice rolls, they're actually not, like, randomly generated type of dice. They're, like... What? They're, in a way, like, especially with the first Mario Party, as soon as, like, it's your turn and you have the dice or, like, you win a game or something like that, it immediately knows what move or what like dice roll you're gonna get there's some sort of system that they had where it wasn't really random it was just sort of like planned once you're in this area once you're in that area you get this many rolls or you get this so, many moves what you're saying is the last game i played in which i got consistently nothing higher than a four and this is old mario party when it went up to 10 you're saying that I can blame the game for real. <laughs> I can't say anything else before 10. I feel like it was the N64 games that was like that. Um, I'd have to watch the video again, but I do know that Super Mario Party could be competitive because you could technically look at the dice and like actually try to make the right, you know, hit. Mm. But it's like six rolls or something like that per second or like there's like a whole crazy number to it where i was like yeah there's no way you're gonna be able to just say oh yeah i hit it now oh, what am i saying people are Life able to find a way yeah i know speedrunners they're way too crazy for that stuff so uh <laughs> moving along from that there's one game that i have been trying to say that I am like kind of broken with. Um, there is a mod for Portal 2 for its 10th anniversary, and it is called Portal Reloaded. And pretty much you get three portals. You get the regular blue, you get the regular orange portals, you go through them, but you also have a green portal that takes you 20 years in the future. So you have to worry about the fourth dimension when you're playing this. And 
I just got to say, there have been way too many puzzles where I was like, okay, how does this work? Because as soon as you, you, you move a cube in like the present, immediately the future cube gets erased because, you know, it doesn't make sense for that future cube to have moved or like be in a certain area. So all of a sudden it's like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's really, really weird. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying to think about it. It's just, it's really neat because you could put like the future cube in there, but as soon as you try moving like the present cube into the future, it immediately says, nah, that doesn't work. And the cube gets disintegrated. And wait a minute. God, now I'm really confused because I just started thinking about it. If you got the, because you're in the present, your character is in the present. If you go into the future, wouldn't that just make you get disintegrated? I haven't played this yet. Uh, so let me refresh. When you take, you can take the future cube into the past, right? Yes. Wouldn't that wouldn't that make it so that there's two cubes in the future now? No, because yeah. that future cube is only there for as long as it is, but at some point it gets moved. By who? by you in the future. I haven't played this and I'm already confused, so I can only imagine what the real game is like. It's painful, um, especially because I've had a few times where I had like the cube, like the future cube, like doing stuff, and I accidentally nudged the present cube and immediately both of them, or not both of them, the future cube that I'm holding right there, it's gone. I'm like, oh my god, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I have to go into the future. I have to get the cube again. I have to do all that stuff. Um, It's really fun, but there have been way too many times where I actually, this is like, with Portal 2, I was able to go through it in one day with my brother. When we first got it, like one day, we just finished it. This game, I actually have to look it up because I don't understand some of them. So take that as you will. That's as much um, <laughs> that's as much uh, news that we have at the moment. But um, I think the next thing that we should be talking about is you, Gabe. You are ah, in me. Japan. You are in Japan. Um, this is accurate. Very. So. Um, pretty much he is in Japan and he also likes video games. So I thought this is a a recipe for, I don't know, a good uh, episode, some good content. Um, so far we've just talked about quick time events, Winnie the Pooh and the four dimension breaking stuff of portal reloaded. The important things in life, important things. (laughs) Um, but I think what I really wanted to ask is, is there a lot of differences between like game culture in Japan that you've seen in comparison to video game culture in like the U S now I haven't been here terribly long, so it's hard to say exactly, but from what I have seen, I think There is maybe a little bit more emphasis on things like accessories, uh, things that you can add uh, to your game systems. Um, I mean, even just like one of the stories that I've been into has, for the Switch alone, like two rows just dedicated to accessories. And there's all sorts of different things. Um, you know, from cases to controllers uh, to 
like Bluetooth uh, audio um, connections. Uh, so you can actually use your switch with your Bluetooth headphones. And compared to what you usually see in the US, I mean, even, you know, you go to a GameStop, a typical GameStop, and there aren't as many accessories as I've seen in this just, you know, random electronics store. Um, no, if anything, I feel like I'm trying to remember the last time I visited a GameStop, I think I maybe saw three cases. Um, I don't even think they really had like a lot of Joy-Cons. They had a lot of Amiibos, a lot of Terry's and uh, Banjo's and Kazooie's. But other than that, it was mostly just the games and that's it. Yeah, here there's a lot more. Um, there's definitely uh, in those, you know, rows with accessories and everything. There were quite a few Amiibo. Um, it was not necessarily like a wide variety of Amiibo, but there was definitely quite a few there and lots of each Amiibo that they carried. Um, and I know even just recently seeing things with like the release of Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter is huge out here and there have been um, some special accessories that I saw released just for it. Um, I believe it was a um, Palico themed uh, case, switch case, along with um, a game card case inside. Um, that looked really cool. Uh, unfortunately, I need neither right now, so I didn't get it. Uh, though it's probably still there. They had quite a few. Did it have the Dango? Uh, no, you just buy that here regular. Not what I meant, but um, <laughs> I was thinking the Palico. Like, did it have the Dango like thing on the the Palico stuff? Mm, no, I don't think so. Man. <laughs> All right, forget it. I don't want the case. If it doesn't have that, then I don't want it. But yeah, I was about to say um, over in the U.S. It's not as big. I feel like Monster Hunter is getting bigger, though, because um, when I was over at GameStop, usually they have a lot of larger games uh, advertised on the walls. They have a lot of like promotional posters, stuff like that. And I was lucky enough to call dibs on this huge poster. Um, and they had all sorts of like smaller ones. Um I just realized this is going to be audio only. So I have a poster. <laughs> um, you could describe it. It's got a, it's kind of like the cover art, right? It's got yeah. Magnamalo on it. It's got the Magnamalo on it. It's uh, It's got the Palamute and it has the hunter that's like about to slash the Pal, uh, not the Palamute, the Magnamalo. I'd be not really, the Palamute. please don't slash the Palamute. Please do not. This is a cry out to all my listeners, all 10 of you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do not slash the Palamute. Um, but otherwise, it's gotten a lot larger here, um, Monster Hunter Rise. And I think that's a really cool thing. But I do not think that it'll ever get to the extent that Japan has. It's honestly a little bit wild that it's gotten as huge as it has just because the the series came out in i think it was 2005 i feel like maybe earlier but still it was uh um in a sense it's not a very old game no it isn't and that's the thing that's like kind of crazy to me 2004 that was the first release 2004 and a lot of the games that are like huge in japan are like pokemon and dragon quest and like uh final fantasy which are games that are that came out in the 90s 80s um so it's always been kind of a shock that monster hunter has gotten 
very close to the same levels as all those, you know, contenders right there. I think a lot of it has to do with the formula, uh, grinding, collecting, and just the monsters themselves and the appealing designs that so many of them have and the incredible armor that you get from each one too. Majorly, yeah. And I know that, if I'm not mistaken, in Japan, the reason why it got huge in the first place over there is the fact that it was an online-based game for the PS2. Um, You know, you could play it single-player, but the fact that you could cooperatively fight a monster with three of your, you know, three of your friends and you could just, you know, plan out, strategize, stuff like that with those monsters and take it out together. That was huge. You know, that was like one of the first major like online games like that. Um, You know, and as the series went on, it got even cooler because I think I've seen some of the armor for the first game and boy, it is, it's cool, but it's very basic. It's nothing like what Monster Hunter Rise or World would have gotten. Yeah, well, back then, I guess you had nothing to compare it to, though. <laughs> this is true, honestly. Um, I've had, <laughs> honestly, I'm just... <laughs> I've been looking at a lot of comparisons for the first game and it makes me so happy that developers are able to make hitboxes better because we have to watch a few videos. It's insane. There are so many points in the first game where you would be, I kid you not, like 50 feet, maybe 30 feet away from a Rathalos and once it charges at you for some reason the air will just kill you. You would faint so easy in that game, apparently. Yeah, they've, uh, even though it's not the longest lived game, it's come a long way. I think it really uh, hit its stride too when it, um, whenever it's portable, whether that's the PSP, the 3DS, or now the Switch, um, I think it is just, you know, that multiplayer and especially uh, being able to do the multiplayer within the same room, um, talking to each other, communicating that it really comes together. Yeah, no, exactly. And again, I feel like um, Monster Hunter Rise specifically, it has been fantastic because the internet, uh, like some of the rooms that you can get into, the server rooms, um, super easy to get into with friends um and the best part is no voice chat and no trolling really there is no way for people to really troll in these games other than just not doing a thing that is the most they could ever do in a hunt is just not touch the monster i've played quite a bit and i've only seen that once so it's not even a widespread you know phenomenon or anything people are genuinely willing to get up there and fight the monster yeah no and especially with because it's a newer game um there are a lot of people who are getting into it and they need as much help as they they can get so anytime that you're like in a let's say rampage or something like that you know the horde mode and you need people there is more than likely people who are in the same boat that just want to get this done so they can get into the single player stuff with their friends. Oh yeah. That's and Monster Hunter. One thing that I don't think has changed is it can be very intimidating for people just joining. I think Monster Hunter world probably wasn't quite so bad with tutorials and introducing things rise for for all of its strengths for all the good things it has even as a longtime player myself going into it and being bombarded by tutorial screens it's just not enjoyable um you know i've played for a long time but i'm always afraid you know i want to read them in case there's something new or something i missed 
Uh, and it's just, it's so much. And none of it's interesting too. There is nothing about it that, like you said, I've played the game. I played Monster Hunter World, so I know how a lot of things work in the game. But even though, you know, I know this, it's news. So immediately I'm like, ah, crap. I, I feel like there is going to be something I need to know that I'm going to miss that they might have changed or something like that. And since I know all that stuff, immediately I'm so bored out of my mind just reading the tutorials, the list of them, and nothing has changed. I just read a bunch of tutorials I already know. So it's probably the weakest part of the entire game is just that beginning because I remember reading it. I was like, oh man, do I even want to play this? I'm getting a little bit tired. This is... This is already a little bit uh, cumbersome. Yeah, you uh, you load the game and they they give you homework. <sighs> yeah, that's how it has been for a lot of games recently for me. Like, um, I think I told you, but I am starting to work on some tabletop stuff with the mm. Cyberpunk Red game, and I've read everything. But the rules for like D&D tabletop type of stuff, it's still kind of not making sense when it comes to battles because it changes compared to D&D. For D&D, it's an easy like roll with this dice, roll with that dice. For some reason, they do not tell you which dice to roll. So I've been kind of struggling with that stuff. And um, I mean, I still got to make a story. So I have like a full sheet of stuff i have about like three almost four pages now um so it's getting pretty interesting they're all bullet points but um anyway besides that um looking at a lot of those games that we've played you know a lot of the times um we want to get into like the origin of these games the beginning and that goes into retro gaming which from what Gabe and I have discussed before um it's a lot different in Japan in comparison to the US and even UK um so why don't you talk about a little bit about the the retro games that you've been able to get and some of the games that you might have been shocked were like a little bit more cheaper uh I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that everything is cheaper. Um, here in Japan, they don't have stores like GameStop that are specific to video games. Or I, I'm, they probably do, at least I just haven't encountered any. They're not uh, regional or um, nationwide franchises the same way that GameStop is. Um, the best place I've found for retro games is just uh, secondhand stores. Um, you know, they've got clothes, they've got furniture, and they've got a ton of video games too. It's just things that people donate, uh, things that people sell. And the prices are rock bottom. Uh, even for old classics um, on, well, here, I guess the Famicom, uh, Mother... Um, Chrono Trigger, Mario RPG, all of those games, I don't think I really saw anything over what would be the equivalent of $10. Um, I myself purchased uh, a 3DS for, I think, roughly like $27 uh, in good condition. Oh, my God. And I got... Um, Pokemon Diamond and Pokemon Black um, to uh, re-experience those. Um, altogether, I didn't spend over $50. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, let me just really quickly go on GameStop really quickly and look up how much Pokemon Diamond is. Pokemon Diamond is $70 right now. 
So I would already be, it's already, you know, everything was cheaper than that. It's cheaper than a 3DS over there. Wow. Although with Pokemon Diamond specifically, I wouldn't be surprised if the price went up. People are more interested because of the remake coming up. I know that's partly the reason why I was interested. Uh, Well... I looked at Soul Silver and that is also seventy dollars. Um, not even sure. No, it's not even available on GameStop. So if we looked at eBay, because that would probably be the next best place to look for that stuff. Pokemon Soul Silver, mostly because we saw that one Nintendo Life video about this. I will say. Pokemon Soul Silver and Heart Gold are probably some of the more difficult ones to find, even out here. Uh, and they are accordingly a little bit more expensive. But even so, you're looking at paying $30 as opposed to $70. Or what have you found? Um, I don't know what to believe in because some of these... DS cartridges look a little too good to be true. Some of them are ranging between $14 to $17, which I don't buy because from what I've heard and from what I've seen on like even Etsy, it is shockingly easy to make the DS cartridges. Um, Yeah. A lot of, um, I know Game Boy Advance games uh, especially, but I wouldn't be surprised DS as well. Um, Typically, if you find something that's suspiciously cheap, it's uh, fake. The ones that say Pokemon Soul Silver Authentic Nintendo DS cartridge only tested. Uh, Long title, but for the bid, it is $120. And to buy it now, it would be $170 plus $75 for shipping and handling. Other ones are like $140, uh, $95, $220, $215. Yeah, no, Soul Silver, that is in the 200s range. Now let's see, like you said, with Pokemon Diamond, that's got to be really high up yet surprisingly it is only about 50 60 bucks and i can't believe i'm saying this but that's not that bad soul silver and heart gold i think definitely have the i guess the popularity they're a remake and yet they are i think probably the most popular ds pokemon game it's one that when I sold it, I still think about it. It wait or it keeps me up at night sometimes because I regret it. Every single time I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to play that because it is easily like one of the best remasters, remakes, whatever you want to call it. It's fantastic. It's phenomenal. And the fact that it is kept to the Nintendo DS and only the Nintendo DS. There's no virtual console for it. There's emulation, but you don't get, you know, the DS aspect. I mean, it's sad. It's really sad to think that that's just, you know, kept there forever. And I think that's why it's getting more expensive. And I wouldn't be surprised why uh, Pokemon Diamond is cheaper. You may think that it would be going up in price, but the more I think about it, it's going to go down in price because people may not want to buy the original game if the remake is coming around. This is true. I think that a remake always does produce a lot of interest in the original as well, though, um, especially given how, I guess, controversial the art style for the Diamond and Pearl remake is. I personally don't see any problem with it. Uh, to me, it looks like, well, it looks like the original game just, you know, in 3D. Uh, but I know a lot of people don't care for that. 
which I always found kind of crazy because especially with like the battles they look the you know everything about it is a one-to-one remake of the original you know they got the tiny chibi forms and people may not like that but if you look at like the sprites for the ds one that's what it looks like when you go into battle they have the regular sized human pokemon trainers and that's how they look like in the original just 3d there's nothing really crazy about it that's you know groundbreaking or anything it's I mean, it's exactly the same. I <laughs> I personally think that if they went and did a more, I guess, drastic change in art style, um, I personally think that it would end up making the game look more bare uh, than it actually is. Uh, just because, you know, the original 2D pixel art style, you know, as a result, villages are small. There's not that many people because uh, you can only fit so much on, a, on the screen at one time. Um, and I suppose, you know, maybe something like a, the diamond or the, not diamond, um, alpha ruby. Um, no, ruby and sapphire. I'll just go ruby and sapphire remake. Um, I those ones alpha. changed art style. Um, and I suppose they could do something in that vein. Though I suppose, again, some people would say it's either not enough or too drastic. It's impossible to please everyone. Especially Pokemon fans. Those <laughs> Mostly I say that because Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, those remakes are something that the fans have been asking for for a long time and as soon as it came around i heard more outcry about the art style than happiness that the remake was coming around which is wild to me but pokemon snap seems to be a uh, common ground though i think i haven't seen anybody disappointed by new pokemon snap no in fact as much as I'm not a big fan of like Pokemon Sword and Shield, um, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, especially with the Switch era, is honestly a fantastic change, a fantastic uh, amount of uh, perspectives and approaches to Pokemon. Because we do have Sword and Shield, which is a very typical way of you know a pokemon game and then we have the um remake which is meant to be a one-to-one remake which i think is awesome then we had the let's go remake um which was more on the pokemon go side but it i think it had a fantastic you know camera angle fantastic look everything looked fantastic honestly that is probably aside Aside from the Pokemon catching, I wasn't totally sold on that. Um, I think the Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are some of my favorite uh, remakes for Pokemon recently. Um, I would actually be quite happy if that's the route they had gone for Diamond and Pearl. Things seem to work pretty well with that art style. The most I would ever want is for them to just change the catching mechanic just the wildlife because i personally like seeing the pokemon i am a sucker for not random encounters i hate random encounters um so being able to see the pokemon in the wild in the tall grass i was a huge fan of that i just really wish that it wasn't the pokemon go catching oh and also the control scheme Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, wow. if you dock it, you, you're forced to use a single Joy-Con. And to me, that is... Weren't you also forced to do motion control? Uh, yes. Yeah, single joy control, or Joy-Con, uh, motion control for catching. And I remember it was the weirdest thing because they wanted that, like, 
Pokemon Ball, the controller, to be the controller and everything. It was supposed to be that gimmick, but immediately it just limits what you're able to do. Yes, it's one of those strange controllers that is admittedly pretty neat. Um, I do find it kind of cool, but um, funny, yeah, for that game, portable mode, I would say, is the best way to play it. I would find myself, I remember, uh, especially for catching Pokemon, um, I would be, I would have it docked and regrettably using single Joy-Con. And then when it came to catch something that I really want to catch, I would pick the switch up from the dock so that I could use like non-motion controls. Which is, again, I don't know how this huge oversight came along, but I mean, the whole point of Pokemon Go catching is touchscreen. It doesn't really work too well with motion control because the whole mechanic is literally from a smartphone game. It's not even like very accurate either. I had, you know, from the beginning to the end of the game, I could not consistently throw the Pokeball to catch something. No, that... There were a lot of major flaws with it, but at the same time, when it came to the theme, the environment, stuff like that, I got excited. I remember just thinking, wow, this is this is what Pokemon is like. This is what I remember as a kid loving. And Dressing up uh, the Pokemon was also a definite perk. I would, I would give up having three starter Pokemon for that alone. And... I think the coolest thing is we will have those beauty pageants back in Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remakes. Brilliant Diamond, something like that. Um, I'm extremely excited for all the little mini games that we'll be getting in the remake because that was the king of replayability. If they go far with it, it could very well become a new Heart Gold Soul Silver. Those ones. They also added, um, you know, an entire park full of mini games, um, you know, for the remake. And I think that's one thing that does draw people. Yeah, no, that. And that's the biggest thing that I just remember doing as a kid, you know, all those times. It wasn't Pokemon battling for me. It was doing those little like souffle things with the berries and everything, putting that in, doing the rotating blowing into the microphone, doing the beauty pageants and doing terribly because I didn't understand the rules. And um, I mean, that that's how I like Pokemon. I don't think that it just needs to be the battling. I really think that with Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, that's where I was at the height of getting more out there, actually setting a world that people can play that isn't just battling honestly uh you know as much as the original formula and battling and trading pokemon you know how, as much as that's key to what it is some of my favorite moments my favorite memories for pokemon involve the exact opposite all of those mini games in pokemon stadium one and two i remember so fondly uh, Pokemon Snap, that is a game that is all about the Pokemon themselves, not about battling or even collecting. Which is crazy the more I think about it, because with Pokemon Snap, again, it is one of those games that is, you know, unanimously agreed to be a fantastic Pokemon game. And it has zero things about battling. It's all about the Pokemon. That is it. There is nothing about fighting or anything like that those are definitely some of my favorite memories i love doing the mini games in pokemon stadium mm. which is why they still need to make that pokemon bank that would be so great to have the pokemon bank that's like pokemon stadium something that yeah unites it all and can actually hold every single Pokemon that you catch, not just some of them. 
Ah, that's a dream right there. But um honestly, I'm I'm getting really excited the more I keep talking about it that Pokémon Snap. For some reason it really wasn't on my radar, but the more I think about it, man, I really like Pokémon Snap. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. I just the way that you were able to like do the apple throws at Pokemon to get them mad or something or potentially make them evolve. Um, there are all sorts of different items that you could just use to basically interact with them or find a legendary creature like a ho oh in the sky, something like that. Um there are always so many little hidden angles to the games, all the different levels. They were small, yet somehow packed with so much. Kind of like, no, never mind. I was going to say Majora's Mask, but no. <laughs> um, I got to ask, with Japan, like, have you seen a lot of advertisements for that Pokemon Snap? Not as many as I did for Monster Hunter, funny enough. Really? I haven't been over by uh, the train stations or any of the major areas lately. But from what I have seen, yeah, I don't think it was quite as uh, in your face as Monster Hunter was. I mean, one of the train stations, even, you know, it had a Monster Hunter display outside a store that was just constantly blaring the music for everybody to hear. It was well, great. Was it like the... Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, that particular train station, I know it had Monster Hunter uh, for sure for quite a while. Um, and then when that released, I believe it had the Mario um, 3D World. Oh, that was the next one. Um, I'm not sure if it has anything right now. I was about to ask if it was the Shimigami Tensei Nocturne stuff, but the more I think about it, that's already come out, the remaster. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that came out months ago, so there's no fanfare there. Yeah, you missed that. <laughs> I think it came out in November for you guys, but... Anyway, yeah, that's a big game that um, if you've noticed on if you've seen on Twitter, Atlas has been um, nonstop trying to promote that. Which I even Nintendo, which is a bit shocking for me, considering how dark it is. But yeah, well, that's the weirdest thing about the Shin Megami Tensei games. I. I always felt like they would have been flip flopped. Like, Persona, I feel like, is more of the Nintendo, like, quirky style that they would totally try to advertise. Like, Murder Mystery for Persona 4 and, you know, Phantom Thieves. But instead, they got Shin Megami Tensei, which is just demon Pokemon. <laughs> it's, um, as I've seen a lot of posts say, that it is the actual demon collecting you know game that parents feared pokemon was <laughs> i forgot about that crazy like shock of pokemon how people thought it was the antichrist or something like that yeah uh shin Megami, I, I think the whole point is to become the antichrist or something like that <laughs> advertising shin Megami tensei 3 um yeah, I'm actually kind of excited. Um, there are a lot of different games coming out. And that actually uh, brings me into the final segment of this, which is um, basically, I don't even, oh my gosh, I can't even remember what I call it. But um, pretty much we talk about a game or series uh, that's completely random. And I basically have a wheel that I choose. And I got a bunch of games that we, um, we've played together because otherwise I wouldn't want something like 
What games have we not played together? Uh, whatever. Like Halo 3. I didn't want something like that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be much help there. But we got the lucky end of the, the stick and we got Mass Effect, the, the trilogy. How timely. <laughs> I know. No, truly, I the first time we did an episode, it was Doom Eternal. And it was around the same time when it came out. I want to say it was. What's up. Yeah, no, every single time. I think it was that very week that Doom Eternal was coming out. I was like, okay, great, cool. Um, and then immediately after that, it was Animal Crossing. I was like, so they came out together. Uh, so, Good for yeah, them. the wheel is... I actually do believe someone is watching over that wheel and stopping it. Um, kind of like the dice roll in Mario Party. <laughs> but um, Mass Effect, that game, the whole series is something that Gabe actually brought me into. Um, mm. oh it's my very gosh. near and dear to me. And it's gotten very near and dear to me. Um, I am planning on getting the legendary edition of Mass Effect, the remaster that is coming out in like 14 days. You're just planning on getting it. You mean you haven't already pre-ordered? I pre-ordered. I'm uh-huh. getting I'm getting the poster from GameStop. I really want to get the uh, downloadable stuff, but I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, I want something to hang, you know, up on my wall over in um the apartment and mass effect is something that i would love to have so that game series is really cool and i feel like you might be the best person to explain what it is just because you hold it more near and dear and i have been on record to nearly spoil some games uh by max he he told me and caught me (laughs) Okay, so essentially you want an overview of the trilogy without actually spoiling anything. Honestly, just have like a little uh, description of the first game. Let's go with that. Oh, well, I was going to say, I think I can give a little bit more of the trilogy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with head. <laughs> essentially, it is a science fiction video game series um you play as commander shepherd be it male or female uh you design your character and the biggest draw of the mass effect games for me is the fact that um all three are a single cohesive story um your decisions from one to the next carries over and can have rather large ramifications. Um, It's kind of a third person shooter uh, throughout all three uh, cover based. Um, But I think for a lot of people, that's kind of not necessarily the main draw. The biggest draw is in the storytelling and the characters. Yeah. Yeah, most importantly, the dialogue and a lot of the choices you're able to make. Um, I always found that really cool, especially with the Paragon and Renegade system. Uh, <laughs> that, that was a fun time when I played it and you were there because Gabe, you know, usually went with the Paragon, which is just the nice guy, Shepard, where when something i don't know bad happens he's always there to help people out or if someone's acting difficult uh shepherd will try to de-escalate the situation as calmly as possible with a silver tongue stuff like that and i played the renegade shepherd where if someone was being difficult and they really didn't care i'd shoot them uh <laughs> or if there was um i remember there's one instance where uh there's someone in the news who's talking to me about like a huge situation that was happening and they gave me a little quick time event that i could do with the renegade i took it 
And immediately Shepard just punched the news reporter. That's uh, that's completely understandable, though. That part is fine. I It might even be canon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm hoping that they come out and just say, by the way, this one instance that's very obscure, that is canon. Oh, it's not obscure. Uh, You could punch the same reporter throughout all three games. It's great. I forgot about that. Oh my gosh, you're right. I think every time it just gets even crazier. Like you just do some terrible stuff more and more. By the third game, she's ready for it. She knows what's coming. Oh my god, that and that's the best part. Like <laughs> yeah, actually the more I think about it, if she's already prepared immediately, that makes it canon. Oh my gosh. All right, that just made my day just realizing that whole situation where I was just it was humorous. It was great. Um that's canon. I- I will admit, though, I did. Um, I don't think I punched her really ever throughout the games. It's it's hard to be mean sometimes. It made it really funny when you were mean because it comes completely out of left field in the game. Like you'll just be, you know, doing a situation and all of a sudden you just act like a total jerk to someone. They're like, what? What did I do? Or you shoot someone, they're like, why? Why did you do that? And he's like, I don't know. I got tired of him. You're the most chaotic D&D character in that entire game. Um, And I think that's like the best thing to do. Also, in the second game, there is, and there's no way that this could be spoiled or anything, but... In the second game, if you get really, really mean, you get glowing eyes. I have never had glowing eyes. He was goody two-shoes and looked like a human. Listen, I see all of the videos of people, you know, they've, they're showing off their character and they've got glowing eyes. And I'm like, how? How are you that mean? I just say though, (laughs) you just see them and you go Sith. (laughs) Uh, For Shepard, I think it's Simp. (laughs) That's a that's for those of you who don't know. That's another big part of the Mass Effect games. Um, The love interests, which also may well depends on who you go for, but they may or may not carry over between the games. But um, yeah, the throughout the three games each time you can romance someone and if you don't like the combat and you don't like the story for some people that is what they go for that is why they choose mass effect it's just a picture of what was it morpheus and matrix giving you pills and it's either sith or simp that is it that's the entire game i think for most people it's both that's not how the, the movie works, Gabe. You can't do that. You take both. You can't do that, Gabe. No. <laughs> or uh, you take neither. <laughs> that would be like the craziest version, though. That, that would be so boring of a, a game. Just not doing anything. Just sticking to the law and being like that's it that's my entire life that's the uh, how it should have ended uh, no thanks mom said don't do drugs <laughs> i just no means no i don't know i'm just thinking about it that would be a terrible just like how it should have ended for mass effect though just someone is just kind of like taking their shirt off or something or they're like no 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 no. keep it on that's it get out of my room and that's how it ends credits roll you do you i mean come on it's your shepherd oh that's true it's an rpg but um honestly it's a really really great game it's got a lot of great books and 
phone no i i think that it would make great like television shows but it would never happen um these days you never know they're making a borderlands movie i never thought that would happen neither did i and i didn't think jack black would be in it too and jamie lee curtis for some weird reason jamie lee curtis is in it you know i wholeheartedly approve of both of those people so we'll see i do too it's just how they got into the Borderlands movie beats me. That's all I'm saying. But um, I guess that's about as much as we have right now. Um, next week, I'm working on that indie developer. And I know I was saying that we do that this week. But uh, to the 10 viewers, uh, sorry. So I will see you next time. And thank you. See ya. See ya. Bye.